It's time to go under the hood with the Indy Fuel. Welcome to another edition of Under the Hood with the Indy Fuel. I am the broadcast voice of the Fuel, Andrew Smith. The Fuel are hitting the home stretch of the season. Just 10 home games and just 18 overall games remaining on the 2019-20 calendar, including three this upcoming weekend as we hit the final weekend of February and the beginning of March in 2020. And the next five games for the Fuel will be at home. Indy currently in the midst of a multi-team chase for playoff positions. The Fuel currently fourth in the Central Division. They're sitting ahead of Wheeling, which is in fifth place, and just a, a little bit behind Fort Wayne as well, which currently sits in third place. And so lots of jockeying for position coming up and lots of division games as well coming up as you've got a lot of four-point swings on the schedule. Matter of fact, all but three of the Fuel's remaining games will be in the division, but two of those non-division games coming up this weekend. It's Players Weekend coming up February 28th, Friday night, 7.35 p.m. The Fuel will don alternate jerseys with a special twist, and then they'll wear them as well on Saturday night at 6.05 as the Fuel welcome the Greenville Swamp Rabbits. And after Saturday's game, fans will have the chance to bid on the game-worn jerseys. The weekend continues Sunday at 3.05 p.m. with Greenville visiting for the second consecutive game. That will be another family fun day. Also a special treat for you Saturday night, Dave Boland, our Blackhawks night guest, was stranded in Toronto due to travel difficulties and weather that hit on that day. He is going to visit Saturday night to sign autographs and meet with fans so again, Saturday night, Dave Boland, our Blackhawks night guest, will be in attendance for Saturday's game. And again, all Saturday games face off at 6.05. So 7.35 p.m. Friday the 28th, 6.05 Saturday the 29th with Dave Boland in the house on Saturday. And then 3.05 p.m. for a family fun day on Sunday. The five-game homestand continues next week on Thursday, March 5th. The Wheeling Nailers visit for a 7.05 face-off. That's another all-you-can-eat night. And then Toledo wraps up the homestand on March 6th at 7.35 p.m. That will be Faith and Family Night. It's also a do 317 night with $3 beer and soda, $1 hot dogs, and $7 limited edition t-shirts. So that's the upcoming schedule for the Fuel. And again, Indy right now in the midst of a playoff push. And there's games happening essentially as we are about to record this and, uh, of course, those games factor into uh, what's going on in the standings. But as we record this edition of Under the Hood, the Fuel are in fourth place. They're four points ahead of fifth place Wheeling. They're five points back of third place Fort Wayne. And there's a race brewing at the top of the division as well between Cincinnati and Toledo. Cincinnati currently five points ahead of Toledo. But the Walleye have four games in hand over the Cyclones. The Fuel are five points back of Fort Wayne, but the Fuel have two games in hand on the Comets. And so there's a lot that's going to be played out over these last 18 games for the Fuel. Let's take a look back at last week really quickly for the Fuel as they went 1-2 and two on the week and had a special thing happen on a Tuesday against Fort Wayne, of course, it was Education Day. We had 54, 69 kids, mostly on field trips in the house. 
Uh, the fuel eventually fell 5-4 to four to Fort Wayne, but Ryan Van Strahlen tallied a hat trick in that one, and then the fuel snapped a four-game skid with a 5-4 to four victory on Friday night in Kalamazoo as Darian Plouffe tied the game up late and then won it in overtime at 4-14 of overtime, a power play goal assisted by Ryan Van Strahlen. Cliff Watson and Jake Reisick, as well as Spencer Watson, scored first-period goals for the Fuel in that contest. And Darian Plouffe had a four-point contest, two goals and two assists. Charles Williams getting the win in goal. Charles had another really good game on Saturday in Fort Wayne, but the Fuel fell 2-1 to to the Comets to push the Fuel's mark to 27-24-3 heading into this weekend. Our guest on this edition of Under the Hood with the Indy Fuel is the assistant coach of the Indy Fuel, Andy Contois. Andy was hired this summer to be the assistant coach to Doug Christensen, and he comes from the United States Hockey League. He had spent the last two seasons as an assistant with the Central Illinois Flying Aces in Bloomington, Normal, Illinois, and prior to that had been in Brookings, South Dakota in the North American Hockey League. He played... Three seasons in the ECHL, was an all-star in the 2007-08 season, and then also played five seasons in Europe, as well as playing in the Central Hockey League in 2010-11 with the Bossier Shreveport Mudbugs, with whom he won the Miran Cup title. Graduate of Northern Michigan University, where he was a four-year player and had an opportunity to play his college hockey in his hometown of Marquette, Michigan. And so here is the assistant coach of the Indy Fuel, Andy Contois, on this edition of Under the Hood. We're hitting the home stretch of the year. I know it's an exciting time as we're getting into that push for the playoffs, and you're in the midst of a multi-team race in the Central Division for uh, several playoff spots. It's kind of describe the excitement of this time, especially given the fact that you've got a number of games coming up on familiar ice against teams that you're going to be battling with for that playoff position. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is, uh, you know, this is the time of, time of year that uh, you want to be a hockey player. You want to be, you know, in the big games and in the big moments. Um, you know, it's getting exciting, you know, in hockey, college hockey, obviously is coming down to their end of the season, junior hockey, um, the NHL, obviously, you know, they're in their final push with their trade deadline just finishing up. So, it's an exciting time in hockey. It's a great time to be a part of it. And, you know, this is, uh, like they say, this is where you make your money. But, you know, for us coaches, you know, we just want to make sure we're as prepared and have our team as prepared as possible so that they can go out there and uh, have the success that, uh, you know, obviously we all hope for. You mentioned that preparation. What goes into a typical day for you and uh, for the coaching staff behind the scenes and preparing a team for a game? Um. You know, we have long days, but, you know, usually it starts in, uh, you know, if it's a Tuesday, you know, Monday afternoon is when we start preparing for Tuesday. A lot of it is, you know, we break down what happened on the weekend, what went well for us, um, areas we need to improve on. And it's, you know, it's like anything else. We want to build on our strengths, build on what uh, what went well for us and make sure we're improving incrementally on the things that we need to get better at. And, you know, for with Dog, he's extremely detail-oriented. I feel I'm the same, so you know, a lot of our habits mesh well and, you know, we're, we try to be as prepared as possible, but at the same time, make, make sure that the guys, uh, you know, get the rest they need, not only physically, but mentally. And then, 
you know, try to imp- implement things throughout the week that'll uh, set us up for success on the weekend. How much of that preparation is video? How much of it is making little tweaks to things you do? And how much of it is just simply conditioning and getting out on the ice with the guys? Yeah, I mean, these guys are all elite athletes. They're all professionals. So conditioning, a lot of it comes down to them. Um, you know, we have a strength coach who does a great job. Um, you know, with, with our schedule, their conditioning is – you know, a lot of it is, is, uh, is, you know, is created in the game and in our practices, but, you know, we, we have a good balance of, uh, you know, video implement, implementing what we see in video into our practices. And so it's, you know, it's a good blend of everything, but, um, you know, I think we do a fair amount of video as opposed to other teams, but, um, you know, I can't speak to that, but, you know, I think we pride ourselves on being prepared, um, making sure that our players are prepared. And a lot of that is not to do over, uh, information overload, but to make sure that, you know, our messages are clear and, and concise. Describe the relationship you and Doug Christensen have and how you complement each other. Um, I mean, first off, he's a, he's an e- really easy guy to work with. You know, he's a really good, uh, he's a great communicator, great communicator with the players, with the staff. You know, he, uh, you know, he lets us know exactly what, you know, he needs from us and kind of gives us the, you know, the opportunity to run with those, those things. And, um, you know, I think we, we work well together and that we, you know, we both have a, you know, like I said, a, a great attention to detail, but we know that, you know, our messages, you know, we don't want to, we don't want our message to get lost in the, in the, in the delivery of it, if you will. It, it's more that, you know, we want our voices to count, um, when we talk to the guys that, you know, what we really want to get across to them is, uh, is, you know, that we care about them as players. We want them to advance their careers all the while, you know, we want to win hockey games here and create a com- competitive environment. And I think, you know, him and I have the same philosophy in that. So it's, you know, it's been a good, uh, good relationship. What is it? Uh, what is your specific role? Is there anything you sp- kind of focus on special teams working with a certain position group? Or is that anything that coaches largely handed the keys over to you on? Yeah, I mean, I work with the defensemen um, and the power play. So those are kind of my two areas um, that I focus on. Obviously, I run the, the, the D in games. But in practice, um, you know, my main focus is dealing with the defensemen. Uh, and then, like I said, the power play. Um, Doug deals with the, with the penalty kill and the forwards. Um, and obviously, the structure and everything is, you know, the, you know, it's a it's a group effort. But, you know, he's obviously delivering the message on that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty uh, – pretty standard operation that we got how much of coaching and i think this was when i began coaching at a different level different sport a decade and a half ago i think the biggest thing that was the eye-opener for me is that we go in thinking it's a lot of x's and o's but it's also a lot of just building relationships how much of your job is just building relationships with the guys and building that trust over the course of the year yeah i mean it's huge i think that you know i I, again i think doug does a great job with his communication with the players and i think that relationship starts in the summer in the recruiting process i mean you're you know you're, you're selling the program um in the summer and you know that relationship starts there and, and as the summer builds and the, you know training camp starts and you know they're at american league camps and they come to us you know you want that relationship to be you know kind of on the ground running when the guys show up and and throughout the course of the year i, I think that that's a huge part of it um you know i think really to break it down i mean it's 20 25 of it is actual x's and o's and 75 to 80 percent of it is that relationship the trust factor um with players nowadays it's so much 
different than when I played or, or whoever that, you know, you, you did things because the coach told you to back then. We're now a lot of times with players, it's about that relationship and that, you know, you, your message is because it's the best thing for them and it's the best thing to have, let them have success within your system. So that trust and that level of communication has to be there. Um, like I said, it has to start early in the relationship. And a lot of times that's in the summer and the recruiting process. And obviously, you know, you get guys sent down, you get guys that you trade for, you know, for us, that relationship and that open door policy is huge because again, you want the guys to buy into to what you're doing because obviously it's going to give them success to, um, advance their careers and, you know, give them the opportunity to succeed every time they hit the ice. How difficult is it with the roster ever changing? Because you've got guys being called up, you've got guys being assigned from Rockford, you're making trades to develop consistency and chemistry and keep that going over the course of a year. Um, I mean, it's tough. Everybody at this level deals with it. But again, I think it goes back to the leadership group in the dressing room, that core group of guys, you know, your 10 to 12 to 13 guys that, you know, have been around for a while. It's when, you know, you know, a lot of it is they're, you know, they're a, they're a part of the coaching staff, if you will, too, the leadership group that when a new guy comes in, you know, they, they help move that ball along. They help talk to guys about the systems and the structure and how things are done and how Doug wants, you know, certain things done in practice and, and all those things. So I think it's a reflection of the group as a whole, but you know, that's with having really good people and, and, you know, building that relationship again throughout the course of the year. So that when, you know, you lose a piece of your leadership group, the other guys kind of pick up the slack and they bring another guy along. And, you know, so again, I think it's a group effort. Um, you know, it is the, it is the nature of the business that you're going to lose guys. Um, you know, at times it's frustrating, but it's also exciting too that a guy, uh, you know, gets to move up to the American League and, you know, he, uh, you know, he's fulfilling some of his dreams and goals and aspirations. And at the same time, you get a guy sent down, you know, sometimes it's, it's the best thing for the player and it gives them an opportunity to, you know, play more, have a little bit more success. Um, and then obviously move them back up to, you know, where they want to be. So it's kind of one of those things where, you know, it's exciting, it's challenging but it's all part of the part of the process. You come to Indy after four years in junior hockey as an assistant coach in the North American and in the USHL. Uh, what did you learn from those two experiences that really helped prepare you for this year? Um, I mean, I learned a lot at those levels about you know the man, not not necessarily the management side, but the player transaction side of it. Um, the USHL is actually pretty similar to to the East Coast League, if you will, where, you know, your, your roster is kind of ever evolving. The USHL is obviously a drafting league. So it's a little bit different that everything kind of leads up to the draft. But for us, you know, our draft is essentially all summer long where you're, you know, you have your core group that you can bring back. And, you know, for us, we would, you know, I'm assuming this summer going into it, we're going to have a, you know, an expectation of guys leaving to go to Europe. We're going to have an expectation of guys retiring guys, you know, doing other things. And it's the same in the USHL where you have guys that are moving on to college or to other opportunities. So, um, you know, that part of it's pretty similar. Um, you know, I just think that, you know, the USHL, it, it's junior hockey, but, you know, it's a professional run league. All the coaches are professional coaches. They've been doing it a long time. Um, you know, I was fortunate to work for a guy that, you know, played in the NHL, played in the American League. Um you know, he gave me a, a lot of opportunity to, to develop and grow as a coach, not only uh, X's and O's, but, you know, dealing with players and agents and all those things that go along with it. 
Um, so, you know, my opportunities are my development, those levels, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Cause I think I learned a lot as a, as a coach, um, a lot of trial and error at that level. You're getting a lot of guys that are very unpolished, if you will. And, um, you're able to really work with them on their details and habits and execution. Um, and you know, a lot of that at this level is similar to that. You know, they, they, a lot of these players have come from very high, high levels, whether it's, you know, major junior or high end college programs and, you know, their details and habits are there. They just need to be refined as well to get them to the American league and get them to be American full-time American league players. And so, you know, the, the day-to-day coaching is pretty similar, but obviously you're dealing with pros and, you know, they all know that their livelihood depends on, uh, you know, what they do every day. And I, I've talked to some other coaches that have moved from the USHL, which of course we had a team here in Indy for 10 years that uh, produced a number of players that are on this current roster. But, uh, what's a big difference? But I think one thing that has been said is just the maturity level of the players is different. Is that really one of the bigger differences in moving from the junior to the pro ranks? I mean, absolutely. I mean, that goes without saying, like, the maturity level of players is, you know, they're all, these guys have all had life experiences. They've grown up, you know, uh, you know, some of the guys coming out of college or older, the major junior guys have been on their own for quite a while, you know, building or whatever, but, you know, definitely the maturity level and the ability to build a relationship with the kids or with our guys is, uh, is one thing that I've really enjoyed with it. You know, in junior hockey, you're dealing with a lot of different, different things. You know, obviously you're in your relationships different with those guys because they're, they haven't had life experiences. They're moving away from home for the first time. They're having their first girlfriend, if you will, where our guys are, you know, they, they, they've experienced life and, you know, they're, they're moving on to that next chapter to, you know, they want to be pro hockey players. They want to experience some of the things that, you know, I was fortunate, Doug was fortunate, you know, going to Europe, playing in the American league, all those things. And, you know, just that relationship you're able to build with them is, is that much better. And then I think it all ties back into, you know, what you talked about earlier with the, with building the culture and the relationship in the dressing room and, you know, and just that overall, you know, cohesion of our group. Your experience in the USHL in the North American League and Doug's experience having worked in the USHL office, how much does that help as far as building connections over the summer with player recruitment? Yeah, I mean, it's huge, um, you know, especially just getting to know the agents, um, you know, being able to call them or text them at any point, you know, they represent a player that, you know, and, and we have a, uh, you know, a, a pre-existing relationship with them. It just makes it easier. Obviously your, uh, your network's ever expanding. It's ever evolving, but, you know, to work in the USHL again, it's a, you know, a premier junior hockey league, not only in North America, but in the world. And, you know, all the high end agents have kids in the, in those leagues. And, you know, I think for Doug and myself, you know, we're kind of coming to that point now where, you know, the guys that I was coaching with and against um, are all seniors in, in college now. And, you know, they're becoming pros. So that kind of next level of kids coming through are guys that, you know, I, I, I know and Doug knows. So I think for us moving forward, that's even, you know, even a, uh, a better, you know, relationships to have because now, you know, the players on a personal level, you know, kind of their, what makes them tick, you know, their strengths and weaknesses and all those things that go along with it. Well, you got a chance to see a guy you coached in Brookings, South Dakota, Mikhail Hockeriding come down for a weekend and play uh, really well here in Indy in a conditioning stint uh, coming back from injury. But how neat was it for you to uh, get a chance to coach a player in the pros that you had coached when he was just coming to North America and uh, starting out his career? 
Yeah, no, it was uh, it, it was it was weird because I couldn't believe that that much time has gone by since I had him in Brookings. But obviously, uh, coaching against him in the USHL, he was in Muskegon. Um, you know, it was it was an awesome experience, even though it was only a weekend. Um, you know, we have a pretty unique relationship. I, you know, I was part of the group that got him over from Finland to the North, to North America, which kind of kickstarted his whole progression as a player. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm extremely happy for him. You know, obviously he signed with, with Chicago, which is huge. Um, when he got drafted, you know, I was a, you know, I was very happy for him, but just to see him mature as a player and as a person has been, uh, you know, one of the more re- rewarding things I've had as a coach, obviously he's got a long ways to go. He's got a long career ahead of him, but it was unique. It was awesome that, uh, you know, I'm training camp in Rockford. It was kind of funny. We were joking around on the ice about it, but, um, then when he got sent down, you know, a lot of the old, a lot of the, his old teammates, my old players were texting us and kind of cracking jokes at some of the, the old stuff that we would battle about on the ice that, you know, if, if, if anything's changed, if he was still kind of giving me, giving me grief about things and vice versa. So it was interesting, but, um, obviously he did a great job when he was here and, you know, obviously wish him, wish him nothing but the best. Going to go back to your playing career. You had a chance to play a, a number of seasons in the ECHL and then a lot of different stops in Europe. And how did the varied experiences you had playing for a number of different teams and different leagues really help prepare you as a coach? Um, you know, I it, it's interesting because you know, I when I thought about getting into coaching and everything, you know, it was it wasn't kind of something I always thought I wanted to do. But when I started thinking about it, I think that, you know, playing in multiple places for lots of different coaches and really in Europe, especially a lot of different, you know, a Swedish coach, a German coach, uh, you know, a Canadian guy in, in Europe, all those different, you know, coaches and personalities and uh, you know, situations, I think really helped me because it kind of, you know, got me thinking about, you know, the guys that, I really, really liked what this guy did, or I really, really bought into what that guy did, or on the flip side of that, I didn't really care for that or this. I think it, it kind of just helped me that, you know, like, hey, when I, if I ever get into coaching or if I'm a coach, I really want to do kind of what this guy did, or I don't really think what that guy did benefits players, you know, in today's game or whatever. So I think being in a lot of different situations helped me just to learn, learn just by watching as opposed by, as opposed to doing, if you will. Um, and so for me, you know, those, those situations and those opportunities, I think really helped me as a coach, just again, learn from a lot of different people, you know, as just from the coaching side of it, not only as a player, but as a coach and, you know, being in a leadership role at the time. I have a couple of highlights from your playing career, your second professional season, you're in Stockton, you get named an ECHL all-star, get a chance to play in the all-star game. And how meaningful was that to you? And what kind of an opportunity was that for you as a young pro to, be recognized in that way yeah i mean it was uh it was a cool experience i mean um you know back then it was a little bit different than how it is now but um it was an all-star game it was actually in stockton where i played um so it was a you know kind of a hometown thing um great crowds there when we were there so it was just a it was a great experience to represent the organization uh in our own our all-star game and you know obviously you know, anytime you get to kind of play against the best players in the league, um, even in that setting, it was just a, it was a fun weekend, a fun experience to, you know, play with players that, uh, you know, you're battling against every weekend and just in a different setting. But, um, you know, it was obviously an honor and it was, uh, it was, it was fun. 
And then a couple of years later in Shreveport, uh, you get a chance to win the Miron Cup, which whenever you get a chance to win a championship, it's really special. What has that meant to you and your career to have played for a championship team? Yeah, I mean, it, uh, it was, it, it was, it was a very unique season. You know, I played over in, in Europe that year and our season ended early and I had a buddy that was playing down there and they're, you know, he just talked about they're going to load up the team for a good playoff run. And, you know, I figured I didn't have anything else going on. I'd rather play hockey than, than go to the gym every day. So I, I, uh, joined the team late in the year. Um, and you know, I, I, I learned a lot. Um, Scott Musket, who was the head coach there was, a you know, he's a, a GM in the North America League now, but, he was a coach that, you know, like I talked about a little while ago about, I learned a lot from him as a player that, you know, about how he carried himself and how he approached players that I think that at times I try to mimic that as a coach that, you know, he was, he was more of a, he wanted to build the best relationship he possibly could with every player. And I think that was huge to our playoff success that, you know, when he was hard on you, it wasn't because he didn't like you. It was because he wanted more from you as a player. Um, and that you knew he still cared about you, but he knew that being hard on you was the best thing for you. So, um, and ultimately it, it led us to a championship. And I think that, you know, I remember we lost game six, I think eight, nothing, um, in Colorado. And he was pacing around the lobby, grabbing every guy as they came down for breakfast on the morning in game seven and basically kind of tore a piece off every guy. And every guy took it as, you know, Muskie doesn't want isn't doing this to be mad at us. He's doing this because he wants more from us. And we knew he cared about us as people. And, you know, I just will always remember that as, you know, that was the turning point, I think, in that whole series was us losing. And it wasn't the old woes me for a day. It was we're getting back on the saddle and we're going to win this thing in game seven on the road. And we're going to do it because we all care about each other. And most importantly, the guy leading the ship cares about us more than anybody. And it's always special to win a championship, but especially on the road because you're – it's just you essentially uh, together in the hotel. You're you're spending the the weekend together. You're going into enemy territory, and uh, when you get a chance to skate around the opposing team's ice uh, with the cup, which I've held that thing, it's pretty uh, heavy. But uh, <laughs> uh, but when you get a chance to uh, skate around with that, that's uh, that's got to be special, isn't it? Yeah. No. It was. Uh, it was a very like I said. It was a very unique uh, experience because like. I think probably 80% of that team retired after that game. Um, and we knew it going into it. Um, we were playing in Colorado. I'm sure you know, you know, kind of how that is, but I mean, they had 5,000 fans at every game. Um, very tough environment. Um, but yeah, it was, it was special. Something I always remember George Bullock was the equipment manager at the or athletic trainer, sorry, at the time. So obviously having that experience with him and then coming to work with him now, um, you know, it was awesome, um, and you know, the team actually folded after that, so it was kind of the last game for a lot of different people um, in pro hockey. But, yeah, it was a very special experience. It's something that uh, I'll always remember. Um, you know, great group of guys, guys I still stay in touch with nowadays. Um, you know, obviously everyone's quite a bit older now and, you know, moved on to different things. But um, it was a special experience, and, you know, like you said, it's something that uh, you never forget. Um, at any level, when you win a championship, it's, uh, it's something very special. How much has the ECHL changed since you've come back into the league uh, in the decade or so since you played in the league? Um, I mean, I guess it hasn't changed a ton. I think, uh, 
I think there's more opportunity now for players. Um, you know, when I played, there was only 20 American League teams. There's 31 now. I mean, you know, simple math. There's 200 more jobs out there for guys. So I think there's there's more opportunities for guys to go up, um, which I think is awesome. That uh, that to me means the game's growing. Um, you know, for guys to get the opportunity to, you know, not only play in the American League, play in a great league. Um, you know, to, to make more money, to, to, you know, to, to live out their dreams. I think that's, that's huge. That's a big part of uh, what we're doing. Um, you know, I think the East coast league, the, the markets are better now. I think, uh, you know, you have, since I've been in the league, you know, you had an Indian and Orlando and all these, or, you know, these markets that get good crowds and, and, you know, the, the atmosphere in a lot of these arenas is, is, is really good. And, you know, it, it, it's just a, it's a, it's a great brand of hockey. Um, you know, and I think uh, the coaching, obviously when I played, I think not many teams had assistant coaches. So I think the the development piece of it is a lot better than when I played. Um, you know, having a full-time staff, uh, head coach, assistant coach, you know, strength coach, all those things. I think just the professionalism has grown, which, uh, which I think is great. That only benefits the players. Um, which uh, at the end of the day that, uh, you know, we're in this to develop these guys as much as we are to win. Um, you know, I think that's great for, for everybody. What was it like to grow up in Marquette, Michigan, on the upper peninsula of, of Michigan, where it's really the birthplace of hockey in the United States and grow up in that culture? Um, it was awesome. It, uh, you know, the summers are awesome, but the winters, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's all hockey. There's not much else to do there. Um, it's cold, it snows a ton. Um, you know, and it's a hockey town. I mean, that, uh, that for sure, um, is what drives everyone there as a kid growing up. Like there's really no, no other sport you play. You play hockey and uh, everything else is kind of second. But, you know, for me, I had a great, there was a great, uh, great group of guys that were a couple years older than me that all went on to play division one, played, uh, pro, for you know in the minors you know kind of paved the way for me so they're great guys for me to look up to um but yeah great community great hockey hockey city like you said uh you know the pro hockey and, and hockey in the u.s kind of started there and you know it's uh you know it's kind of the lifeline of the area um and you know i i, I love marquette love going back love seeing the guys kind of following you know the path that i was helped are able to be a part of and you know hopefully uh, that can continue and describe what the opportunity was like to get a chance to play at northern michigan then and get a chance to play your college hockey and go to school in your hometown and in front of uh, your family and friends yeah no it was uh it was an awesome experience um there was like i said there was a, a group of guy a good group of guys that came through there that were the same age as I was, they were from Marquette. I think at one point there were seven Marquette guys on Northern when I was there, um, which is kind of unheard of really for any program other than the University of Minnesota that, you know, will get seven or eight guys right from Minneapolis. Um, so for, you know, us, it was a sense of pride that, you know, there was so many Marquette area players on the team of a town from 20, of 20,000 people. Um, you know, that was, for me, that was probably the, the – the, the best feeling to play with all the guys he grew up with, not only, you know, all the way up through, you know, squirts, peewees, bantams, midgets, and then all of us play together at Northern. That was, you know, probably the, the most rewarding experience, but obviously playing in front of your friends and family every night um, was an awesome experience. And, 
you know, it, uh, you know, it was something that, uh, you know, obviously I have great memories of. Did you grow up going to Northern games, hoping to someday be one of those guys on the ice? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I grew up, um, in 91, they won the national championship. Um, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, I remember where I was when they won, when they scored the game winning goals in triple overtime. Um, and you know, it was, uh, you know, it was a pretty cool experience. I, I was one of the rink rats hanging around the rink all the time. Um, at the time Northern played at the rink that we all practiced at. So everybody would right from when school would end, you'd run to run to the rink. Your practice was until six o'clock, but you'd watch Northern practice from three to five. And yeah, I mean, those, those were our NHL players um, growing up and, you know, being able to, to play there obviously was, uh, was a great experience and, you know, something me, like I said, all my buddies were, uh, you know, very honored to do. Who was your favorite player growing up? Somebody that you tried to model your game after? Well, I mean, I always liked Steve Iserman, but because he obviously has a Wings fan. But um, as I got a little bit older, I, you know, I always really liked the way Sergey Fedorov played. Um, you know, I was a good skater. Fedorov was obviously a very elite skater. So he was a guy that uh, I always, you know, looked up to, you know, tried to mimic things he did on the ice. Um, so those guys, for sure, obviously, I was lucky enough to grow up when Detroit was in their heyday of winning cups and being a high end team. So you know, had a lot of good playoff runs and was able to watch a lot of good hockey. Who were some of your biggest influences, either as players or now as a coach? Um, I mean, my college coach, Walt Kyle, um, you know, when I got there, it was his first year um, as a coach. He was coaching the New York Rangers at the time. And I just, another guy that, you know, he he always kind of pers- pers- was persuading me to get into coaching um you know I was part of his leadership group at Northern and you know he would always just in the summers you know we'd be talking just you know regular regular you know life conversations and he just always thought that I'd be a good coach and so as I played and my co- my playing career kind of dwindled down he actually became an agent he's an agent now um but he's just always somebody that I've always talked to always leaned on not only as a player but now uh as a coach and you know, in the summers when we get together, you know, we talk a lot about things that he does, did did as a coach and, you know, people that he's, you know, influences he's had on his career. And, you know, he's been a guy that's uh, really helped me along along the way in a lot of different ways. Obviously, as an agent representing players that, you know, I've been recruiting and also just as a mentor and, you know, and really just as a friend as well, just, you know, I can call him at any time and, you know, say, hey, this is going on or that's going on or what do you think about this opportunity or that opportunity and, you know, he's obviously going to, you know, give me advice, uh, you know, kind of in all three, all three, with all three hats, uh, you know, really trying to figure out what's best for me in the long run. What's your favorite place to either have played in or a favorite building to visit now as you're a coach? Um, well, my all-time favorite place to play, if I would ever live anywhere again, if I had a choice, would be Copenhagen, Denmark. I just loved it there the people um but as a player i don't i i got to say the my favorite place to play as a player was my home arena the Barry event center in marquette at northern um but on the road as a college player i think nothing beats the university of michigan um by far the loudest arena i think you could possibly be in when it's rocking unfortunately that's not a good thing if you're the visiting team but uh 
Yeah, I'd have to say those two. I mean, I, th- I think it's hard to beat the atmosphere in a college arena on a Friday or Saturday night. Um, just the lead up and the anticipation to to those games, it's it's pretty unmatched. I'd probably compare it to what an NHL building gets like on a in a playoff series. Um, just the energy and the excitement that's in those buildings. Um, that's you know what I'd compare those two arenas like. What is it that brought you to Indy this past summer, and what's been your favorite thing about being in Indy so far this year? Um. I mean, what brought me here was, you know, obviously Doug got the job and, you know, he was someone that I got to know a little bit through the USHL, um, you know, heard great things about him. You know, my interactions with him with, when he was with the league was just, you know, how per- approachable, how personal of a person he was. Um, you know, obviously he had success in Manchester, you know, the unfortunate situation I had in Bloomington that the team folded. Obviously I was looking for another opportunity and, you know, he was fortunate enough to give me one, um, you know, so that was kind of what brought me here. Obviously everybody I talked to about, you know, the organization kind of almost before Doug got involved with it was, you know, it was a great situation here, great ownership, um, you know, great relationship with Chicago and Rockford and kind of the parent club and how everything was done there was, you know, everything was just so professional from top to bottom. Um, and, you know, again, my favorite experience so far would probably be just the relationship with the guys. I mean, I think we have an unbelievable group of guys. You know, a lot of that, again, goes back to that recruiting process. Doug, Doug did a great job with, you know, bringing in not only really great players, but very, very high-quality people, um, the, the support staff, um, Flinchy and George. I mean, they're, they're best. They're, you know, they're the best in the business. I mean, they're, those guys have been doing this a long time. And, you know, coming to the rink every day is, is very enjoyable. Um, you know, we've had, you know, some ups and downs this year, but, you know, coming to the rink every day has been a blast. So I can't really pinpoint anything. Um, I'm excited to get out of bed every day, come to the rink and work. And, you know, for me, Andy's been a great, uh, a great first year of pro hockey, getting back into it. It's been a great experience. Um, you know, we got a long way to go to accomplish what I think we're, we're going to be able to accomplish, but, you know, it's been a, it's been a fun uh, journey so far. I always finish up with this question as, we're uh, taking a look kind of behind the scenes. Uh, what's one thing about you that the average fan in the stands uh, who's looking down at the bench may not know, but just kind of an interesting fact about uh, who Andy Contois is? I enjoy coaching. I enjoy uh, I enjoy being in the fight. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a great job. It's the best job in the world if you can call it a job. So, um you know, I guess your favorite thing to do away from the rink, uh, maybe a, in your spare time when you've got some time away. Uh, I mean, my favorite thing to do would definitely be to go salmon fishing. That's something that uh, being from where I'm from, um, you know, I live on Lake Superior, Lake Michigan's only a 40 minute car right away. So uh, salmon fishing in the summer is something that I, you know, I love to do, um, you know, going out on the boat with my buddies Um Fishing, obviously, uh, just get away, get away from everything. You know, uh, that's something that I that I do enjoy. Outstanding. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. That's Indy Fuel assistant coach Andy Contoys on this edition of Under the Hood with the Indy Fuel. Again, the Indy Fuel hitting the home stretch of the season. Just eighteen games remaining. Ten of those at home, including the next five. Three this weekend, Friday night, 7.35 p.m. against the Kalamazoo Wings. Saturday night, 6.05 p.m. against the Greenville Swamp Rabbits. Dave Boland will be in attendance. We'll also have a jersey auction after Saturday night's game. Players weekend, 
both Friday and Saturday, the Fuel will wear special alternate sweaters to commemorate the occasion. Then on Sunday, it is Family Fun Day, 3.05 p.m. The puck drops between the Fuel and the Greenville Swamp Rabbits. Two games next week as well, Thursday and Friday, the 5th and 6th, as the Fuel take on the Wheeling Nailers and also the Toledo Walleye next weekend. Looking forward to seeing you at the rink. Of course, Nick Olchek and I will have the call on all five of those games as well at IndyFuelHockey.com slash radio and ECHL TV. You can get your tickets for every remaining Indy Fuel home game at all Ticketmaster outlets as well as the Indicata Farmers Coliseum box office and get all the ticket information you need at IndyFuelHockey.com. Want to thank Andy Contoys for joining us on this edition of Under the Hood with the Indy Fuel. I am the broadcast voice of the Fuel, Andrew Smith. We'll see you at the rink. Thanks for going Under the Hood with the Indy Fuel. For more, keep visiting IndyFuelHockey.com.